Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend Chris Dow. Down to one-tenth of a cent. And my adulthood friend Minty Booth. There's no no sewings that works here. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Now that we're kicking off Season 3, we would love to invite you to participate in more conversation with us. We'd like to include more listener engagement from you excellent folk from answering your questions and even reviewing your top 10 lists as well. So if you want to get in touch with us, we have many avenues for you to do so. Facebook.com slash our three cents, Instagram, Twitch and TikTok at O3C podcast. Search for our three cents on YouTube as well to see all of our video content and engage with us on there. And well, depending on how long this current lockdown lasts, we may see a fresh influx of video content on there. So stay tuned. <laughs> Lastly, for the announcements, we'd love to point you in the direction of our Patreon page, patreon.com slash our three cents. If you're looking for a way to get even more out of the podcast, get some cool exclusive perks, or just want to show us a bit of love, you can subscribe to be a Patreon of the podcast. And in exchange for some pennies of pledgery, you can get some amazing bonus episodes, deleted scenes, outtakes, custom artwork, access to the Patreon exclusive Discord channel, loads more. So please do check that out. So here we are. We are officially into the first official proper episode of season three after our 2020 big roundup special. I mean, how does it feel? It just feels like 2020 with a fringe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited because this year is going to be shocking. At the very least, we've got several months of just lovely conversation amongst each other. This is true. It's been a real joy to do this for the last what two two and a bit years now or or roughly that something like that yeah and and to think that we're now down to the last chunk you know the the games that are like family members to us Mm -hmm. (laughs) i i I can't wait to share them with you and I, i can't wait to hear the games that that you two really really love as well i think in spite of the uh like chris said just how remarkably awful the next few months are going to be i think there's a remarkable serendipity that uh as the days get uh get darker and just more dreadful every time you open up such things as the newspaper or your bedroom windows (laughs) (laughs) to come into this every week and just enjoy reveling in things that uh two of my dearest friends are so passionate about for the next, I guess, nine months. Oh, yeah. bloody hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> given the new format of this season. And you're absolutely right, because this is the last chunk. The thought of just saying, oh, there's 10 more episodes made us all incredibly sad. So uh, <laughs> what we're doing, well, as you'll have noticed, uh, if you look back at the episodes, they've grown steadily and progressively longer and longer and longer. And in order to keep it, one, a bit more digestible for your ears, two, for my editing head hands fingers who knows <laughs> we've decided to have a week each for each of our numbers so this week we are celebrating chris's 10th favorite video game next week we shall celebrate minty's and the week after that we shall celebrate mine before they're moving on to our ninth so oh this is it's just it's wonderful i mean i'm just like i'm just so glad that we can make this last longer and i think this is going to be brilliant but 
before we get into reveling in joy, let's revel in some rivalry as we return oh, to the quiz. It's been so long. I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad to have given your two respective sets of nerves a rest for a few weeks, but it is time for you to plunge your heads back into the trivia sphere, break a mental snooker queue in half, and absolutely go to town on each other, for <laughs> there can only be one winner. <laughs> Last time I checked, Chris had the lead by a mere one point, so it's still all to play for as we enter season three of the quiz. I should do a theme tune. I, I'm surprised I haven't. Oh, for this one. Yeah, for this mm. series. Let's do it. Quiz. David Crane, Larry Kaplan, Alan Miller, and Bob Whitehead left Atari to form which company? Uh, Activision. That is the correct answer. Congratulations. Amazing. Very, yes. very good knowledge. Holy well done. shit, I'm happy to concede a point on that. <laughs> Deep knowledge. But, but again, this, this box of quiz questions is like, you have something like that, that it's like, if you do not know it, you are never going to guess that. <laughs> and, and then we have other weeks where it's like, there are three starting Pokemon uh, in red and blue. Char what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's multiple choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rearrange this anagram to get a name of a famous character. Maroy. <laughs> <laughs> Pikachu. <laughs> so, before we dive into what we've been playing over the last couple of weeks since we three last met, we've got a question to answer from the social media sphere. Oh, brilliant. And this comes direct from the pool of Patreon subscribers, where CJ Anderson asks, what is the strangest game you've ever played? Chris, do you want to kick this off by telling us about Desert Child, which I assume <laughs> must be... I mean, it's its a game that absolutely baffled me to the point of nonchalance. So, uh, yeah, you, I mean, surely that's got to be a contender for you. Oh, yeah, it's its its really good. I mean, I, I like weird <laughs> games a lot. Like, I talk about a lot of weird games anyway. And I think you're probably right in that the weirdest game I think I've played semi-recently was probably Desert Child last year. Mm. Because it is... As you mentioned, it's a willfully obtuse game. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, on paper, it presents itself as being a futuristic racing game, even though that component of it is quite a slim part of the game overall. I think I mentioned when I talked about this last year sometime that in between racing, you're exploring the local area, you're, you're taking part in weird digital heists, you're sampling local cuisine, you're, you're collecting <laughs> records, and loads more kind of esoteric activities that all just seem to exist only to confuse you to yeah. give you other things to kind of focus on and miss the point of where you're going what i really like about desert child and I, I said that at the time is your character is someone who is scraping together the money to be able to travel to mars to compete in these futuristic races and that is ostensibly the core of the game but it's got so many of these like deliberately cloudy systems that it ends up just being like a game that's about the feeling of the whole thing so it, it kind of really tries to sell its strange humdrum brand of like cyberpunk and class divide and all this other stuff that's going on within this world and and the point of any of the individual activities is not that important to be honest i thought it was really interesting that when we we mentioned this off air that, that desert child was something maybe to consider 
Uh, I've been listening to a lot of a band uh, recently that some of our listeners may know, especially our friend CJ, as they are an Aussie outfit, called King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard, which they take the crown for me as being one of the very best bands with one of the very worst names. <laughs> and I, I hate saying it aloud. But on, on a recent album, they have a track called Mars for the Rich. And, and the lyrics align really nicely with the experience of your character in Desert Child, I think. It says... Mars for the privileged, Earth for the poor, Mars terraforming slowly, Earth has been deformed. Just forget it, you ain't coming here, the ticket's too dear, I look Starwood, and that world has no place for me. And although in the game you do make it to Mars, and that's kind of where you end up, and you know, you, that's where you finish once you've kind of beaten however many races, you always feel like you are at the, the corporate fringes of this world. And it's a game that has so many of these weirdly awkward constituent parts, and all of them are kind of pretty so-so when viewed singularly. Like I know when when you played it, Jonathan, you lasted about half an hour before you tapped out. Yeah. But but I I found it just really extremely powerful in selling that feeling as a whole, and and it was that that made me persevere. Like I really liked the art of it, I really liked the style of it, and that made me want to just exist and try and get my bearings. Yeah. In this kind of place that's meant to feel really alien and weird, it's absolutely worth a play, and I think it might even be worth kind of looking up a guide and seeing what are the steps I should take just to get going. So you have kind of like a, a bit of a, a routine then for how you should play it and how you should approach each section. And and I think that would help just to kind of give yourself almost like an internal map of, of what the game is and what you're expected to do, because it, it doesn't communicate any of that otherwise. <laughs> I think one of the strangest games I've ever played is actually a game that I've spent a fair amount of time with in the last week which is the indie game called Horace, oh. which I picked up in the eShop sale over Christmas for literally about 90p. It was very cheap, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, I didn't know... I'll be honest, I didn't know anything about the game, what, even what sort of game it was, but I saw it on a list on Nintendo Life of, like, best games on the Switch of 2020, and I saw that they'd given it 10 out of 10. So I was like, well, I'll give it a go. I mean, yeah. You know, I couldn't go far wrong. And, uh, well, I mean, I was right. It's a really, really excellent, excellent game. But my God, is it weird. Like, just <laughs> when you think you've got a handle on, like, what the game is doing, it will throw a curveball at you. It, it's almost got a bit of that sense of the developers sort of making it up as they go along, going like, oh, I, I thought of a, another fun thing I could do. Let's just put that in there. But it, it is really unified with very sort of coherent vision. So, like... And its core, it's a puzzle platform game. You play as Horace, who's a revolutionary new robot who gains sentience <laughs> and is then shut down for a period of years. And upon being rebooted, finds himself in a post-apocalyptic Earth after his design, the, like the design of him as a robot, has been replicated, duplicated, led to a robot uprising, which has shifted the face of humanity. The game is narrated from Horace's point of view, which is absolutely brilliant because it's read entirely through like a text-to-speech generator not dissimilar to the surprise hit of 2020 <laughs> oh, love that guy but it means that everything he says is delivered entirely deadpan which is constantly incredibly funny which is, is much like the writing of the rest of the game it's absolutely hilarious and it's also very very british including just the most niche references that would 
pass i mean in, any non-british person by and, and probably go undetected by a lot of brits playing as well but there's like there's references to Woolworths and mr ben <laughs> uh, there's even a reference to mr chips from catchphrase so you say <laughs> there's so many little movie references and silly things hidden in every corner like there's a bit where you're going through a tv studio and you can see posters up in the background for like this afternoon with richard and judy but on the poster <laughs> it's it's judy garland and james bond villain Jaws actor Richard Keel. Oh. Uh, <laughs> the sort of the, the gameplay twist that's present in the game is that Horace can walk on pretty much any surface and the world will rotate depending on the orientation of what he's walking on. If that's like the walls or the ceiling or suspended on the underside of a moving platform. But you, you can't tread on water because you're a robot. And it's great fun. Like it, it, it does make the game a real 50-50 split between platforming skill and puzzle solving. But it, it's it's all the other things the game throws in that, that makes it just one of the strangest games I've ever played. Like, you think you've got a hang of how the game works, jumping about, flipping the world around, collecting litter, which is, like, your ultimate aim in the game, to collect one million pieces of junk. But then, like, the game will throw a random and, and, and also quite moving Mode 7-style flying section at you, or, like, a, a black-and-white driving section, like something out of a 50s noir movie, or there's a weird mini-game where you need to catch plates with a dishcloth in a kitchen to earn some money. And then, then there was, like, a, a, a drumming game, which is played like guitar, hero there's like a space invader style mini game that sees you shooting down rows of line dancers which is brilliant then there's a weird hallucinatory section in the vein of alice in wonderland that's played entirely on a spectrum shifting rotating platform section uh, it's it, which is incredibly difficult to sort of keep track of there's a bit where you're escaping a horde of prehistoric apes that uh, coincides with an element carried over from the previous scenario that then aligns into a perfect homage of 2001 Space Odyssey. There's, there's also, there's a gag that is set up like right at the start of the game that coalesces finally about like six hours later, which is just a brilliant payoff. There's also a fully functioning in-game spoof of teletext. <laughs> like it's absolutely bonkers. Like I think I've kind of reached what I think is like the the plateaued end of the game, which sort of opens everything up and turns it into more of a, a Metroidvania style game that allows you to explore more and hunt down more junk to collect and find more secrets. But I mean, it's also really really hard. But I'm I'm you know I'm happy to keep chipping away at it because it, I mean it's a great game. Like I said, it's it's so weird, but it it crucially does have that consistent vision that threads it all together, so it doesn't leave you behind, which is is great. And like I said, Nintendo Life gave it 10 out of 10. And I mean, they, they gave a really, really good summary of the game in their conclusion of the review, which says, if you have any interest in superb level design, excellent storytelling, terrific art, evocative music, great characters, hilarious situations and emotional gut punches, Horace is a no-brainer. It's moving without being manipulative, clever without being smug and nostalgic without being a lazy rehash. It's brilliant and absolutely fucking mental <laughs> minty how about you well don't know how to follow that to be honest with you so i never played frog fractions oh it's good <laughs> i don't know oh. this i don't know this oh i could have picked that i could have picked that is this some sort of maths learning game <laughs> yeah. it's free on steam dedicate two hours of your time and play through it okay <laughs> it's it's one that if you give away anything it takes away the whole fun of it yes so i've spread that seed <laughs> I've just reached into my pocket and just <laughs> sent that along the wind. Mm -hmm. The strangest game that I've ever played 
is what I think is the logical conclusion of the strangest genre of video games, which is the point-and-click. Uh, yeah, yeah. As a genre, the point-and-click adventure is just so esoteric and so counterintuitive <laughs> to how any single person would act in any given circumstance. <laughs> you need to pick a lock? Okay, well, you've got this hairpin in your inventory. Oh, it won't fit. Okay, well... Why don't you just spend 25 minutes of your time searching for a bottle of hairspray and <laughs> and an ice pick to freeze the lock and then smash it to bits? <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, you need to uh, you need to hammer something into a a plank of wood. Well, you're not going to be able to use this hammer that you've had in your inventory for well since the beginning of the game. You're going to need to find the uh, the rock that's imbued with something or other. <laughs> These are both things that uh, have given me and Mrs. Minty great cause to complain about as we enjoy the various offerings of such companies as Big Fish, Rusty Lake, Haiku Games. These are all good time sinks, but they're not they're not but they're not good. I mean, no, well, they are good games, but when you figure out how to do sort of tricky bits and it's because um you you have to use something outside of its intended use. That's when you sort of think, okay, this is just a prolonged gameplay and make you spend actual money to buy hints. And my game, which is a flash game, so there's a very limited time to uh, to play it before it gets lost to, I don't know, big tech just saying you can't do it anymore. <laughs> it's a game by, I'm not going to pronounce this right, Joka Trovindi. It's called Humanoid 47, and it's probably the strangest point-and-click game that I've ever played, but it's always stuck in my mind because it wasn't complete bullshit to play <laughs> on account of every strange thing that you have to do and every incredibly far-reaching application of everything that you have in your inventory is seamlessly meshed into the extraordinary art style of it. It's it's a very bold game. It's... um. I don't know if you've played such things as uh, Submachine. No. This is an episodic point-and-click game that's very stark and uh, very weird, and you're just left very frustrated because what am I going to do with this marble? What do I need these pearls for? What am I going to do with this triangular-shaped <laughs> thing? But Humanoid 47 takes all of these weird aspects of the point-and-click game that have frustratingly become emblematic of the genre, and it says, okay... This is what people hate about the genre. Let's make a game with an art style that makes it all make sense. So <laughs> you might come across somebody who um, is asking you to free them from a prison. So you need to get the pizza cutter to take off the top of their head and poke about in their brains a bit so that they can break free of their shackles, that sort of thing. It's incredibly strange and it's so joyous and so gleeful in that strangeness, I haven't played it in years, actually, but it came out in 2013, and I've never forgotten about it. So distinctive in its artistry. It's just wonderful. That sounds, that sounds fantastic. You've definitely tickled my pickle and uh, made me want to, uh, <laughs> t to give that a go. I can give you some good news that Flash, by the time this episode is out, is officially dead. <gasps> I think it's only a few days from here, but... but there is a project that's been ongoing that I've been following for about a year now called Flashpoint. 
and it's basically a central repository of now just shy of 80,000 Flash games. Oh, wow. All working offline, essentially. It's an offline archive that will, will not be affected by the Adobe kill switch, as it were. And I've just looked in the library because I downloaded the the browser just a few days ago, actually. And Humanoid 47 is in and playable. Oh, thank goodness. That is the way to do it. Flashpoint. It needs to be preserved and it needs to be played. It's an experience and I'm not saying your life will be better for playing it, but it will be richer. (laughs) (laughs) So there we go. That may have whet your appetite for if you you just want to get a bit weird, uh, you can check out one of those games. And please do get in touch with us and let us know what some of the weirdest games you've played. And we can compare notes and that'll be great. So what have we been playing this week? I'll tell you what, I'm going to kick it off because I teased a cornucopia of indie opinions uh, last week because there have been I've, I've 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 dabbled with a lot i've dabbled <laughs> with a lot and i'm going to tell you about all of them although before i tell you about the indie games i have finished age of calamity and i had a great time doing it i i think i need to reflect more on the story before i i form an opinion on it not because i'm not sure on it but because i was playing the game quite sporadically and with uh, sort of several interruptions I didn't really take a lot of it in. And I realized that by the time I was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Um, so I need to <laughs> to go back and take that in, in sort of like a, a dedicated study session. And then I can have an opinion on that. But I loved it. And I think something you said about it whenever you finished it, Minty, was that it doesn't probably quite have the longevity of the first Hyrule Warrior game. Mm. And to that, I say, thank God. Yeah, because no one has 400 hours. <laughs> no, no. And it does feel like I could I could complete this. And, I, you know, I'm happily going to try and uh, mop through all of the side quests and, and all of that stuff. I think the thing that stops it being a perfect game for me is is the fact that it doesn't have online co-op. I mean, obviously that wouldn't be as much of an issue if we weren't in a bloody pandemic. Yeah. But, oh, it would just be so fun if we could log on and play together. It'd be brilliant. But but there we go. Anyway, indie games. Dicey Dungeons. Oh. New roguelike game from Terry Kavanagh, the mastermind behind two of Chris's favourite games, VVVVVVV and Super Hexa 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 Hexagon. <laughs> Good games. This new game sees you battle through different scenarios as some sentient dice using other dice to wield different attacks and abilities as you crawl deeper and deeper through dungeons. It is absolutely brilliant. It, deceptively simple. It's a nice mix between roguelikes like Slay the Spire uh, and traditional Yahtzee. <laughs> Yahtzee! It's got a great art style. It's really compelling and with just a lovely wry sense of humour as well. I, I definitely recommend it. It's it's very, very good and I'm going to be playing more of it. I dabbled a bit in Book of Demon, the dungeon crawler Chris chatted about a few weeks back. Yes, yeah. It hasn't quite got its hooks into me yet to get me addicted, but but I really like it and I like what it's doing and I, um, I like to revisit it again at some point. Behold the Kickmen is a game that I was very much looking forward to playing. It is marketed as a game about football made by people who have no idea what football is. And it is very, very, very funny. It is, it's it's quite good fun, but it is not as good fun as it is funny. One of the, the problems it has is that the tutorial, you basically play with a team that has its stats fully maxed out. And then when you actually start the game, your team has no stats whatsoever. And it's 
so horrible to play. That's the classic, <laughs> isn't it? I've sort of forced my way through a few to get my stats up, but it is really good fun and it is very funny and it's uh, it is worth a look. And I still I find myself just just playing it every now and again. It's just it's quite good fun just to pick it up and play a couple of games. And it's good sort of arcadey sort of thing. But yeah, it's it's worth a look. It's worth a look. I finally got round to playing Sayonara Wild Hearts, Ooh. which was an Apple Arcade exclusive for quite some time, but I never got around to playing it on there. And then I picked it up in the recent eShop sale to play on the Switch. It's great. And it was fantastic. I blasted through it in about two hours. And, yeah, you know, for those of you who don't know what the game is or missed hearing Chris talk about it many, many weeks ago now, it's essentially a rhythm game. It markets itself as a playable pop album. And you play through the different tracks on this album as different levels uh, that see you hurtling through all kinds of mad shit, trying to collect things and evade enemies and obstacles. I mean, it's an incredible trip and, and the game throws new mechanics and new twists on things in pretty much every level. So it always keeps you on your toes. The music's great. Visuals are really cool. It's a, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, again, definitely recommend it. Speaking of Apple Arcade, I've also picked up Grindstone again, oh. which is one of the best games I've ever played <laughs> now that it's available on the Switch. Although I did pick it up on the Switch. <laughs> and then um and then continue to play it on my phone uh, because <laughs> i just, just sort of prefer playing it on the touch screen on, on on the phone but it continues to be one of the most satisfying puzzle games i've ever played another a guaranteed game to be in a revised top 100 list whenever oh, it comes. oh for sure yeah <laughs> and i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna hand the justification of this point over <laughs> to you chris because earlier in the week when we did a uh, shout out for some fresh uh, listener questions to answer on the show minty decided to submit a question that simply asked can jonathan and chris please explain why grindstone is so good yeah <laughs> i played a little bit of it on the phone but i, I don't know if i tied that into my general dissatisfaction with apple arcade because i think that was the last game i played before i was like well the free trial's over i'm not going to pay for this anymore for me conversely grindstone was the game that made me continue paying for apple arcade for about eight months Uh, (laughs) and just it's a 60 quid game it's uh... (laughs) unbelievably that's how much it cost me and then i bought it happily again on the switch day one pretty much as soon as it launched and um, if it gets a physical release i'm sure you'll buy it again i've already pre-ordered it brilliant The, the thing about this game, the thing that makes it such, like you say, satisfying, like a really satisfying puzzle game to play, I think is the bit you enjoy when you play Tetris or the bit you enjoy when you play Luminaires or any of these games is when you clear something and you get like the four line clear in Tetris, for instance, and you get a big flash and it's like I've taken away this huge chunk and it feels great. And Grindstone, the way it kind of challenges you to, to make longer and longer links every time, every turn the payoff just builds and builds and builds. And because the animation and and the sound design and everything is tied so neatly to the whole kind of core experience, you can have a pretty paltry like, you know, chain of enemies that you are cutting through and it still feels fantastic. And yet when you really push yourself and manage to clear basically the entire screen, when I used to play it on my iPad, I wanted to throw the iPad in the air. It was so exciting. And and the same for the Switch now. It's like, I, I just wave the controller in the sky, <laughs> like playing it over Christmas. There'd be a few times when Georgia was sat next to me, obviously playing The Sims, and <laughs> she'd kind of peek up because I'd like bashed her on the leg to watch what I'd done. And she didn't, she, she didn't feel quite the same excitement that I did. But still, there's a real kind of thrill in that game at all times. That means that even when you might fail a level because you you take too much damage or whatever i want to go back because that kind of action of the whole thing is so immediate and and so exciting and satisfying to see 
And all that is tied on top of just a really, really well-paced, you know, matching color puzzle game. Yeah. And and I can't I can't praise it highly enough. And I'm so happy it's got a release <laughs> on another platform. So there you go, Minty. That's why. Mm, great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> One last game I've been playing before I hand over is uh, Super Meat Boy Forever, which recently landed finally after being in development for what feels like, I don't know, forever. hundred years. And uh, it's a Times console exclusive for the Switch. And I'm just I'm thrilled to pick it up day one and, uh, and, and get stuck in. Um, I was a bit wrong-footed by this initially because... I didn't know anything about the game and I was expecting just a straight sequel to Super Meat Boy to get the same sort of thing, but a bit more, you know, whatever, a few more elements added in because I, I didn't realise this was like a, a different type of platform game, which is like an auto running platformer, very much in the same style as the mobile Rayman games or Super Mario Run, yeah. which which makes sense because I know Meat Boy Forever was originally being developed as a mobile game. You've got a few more things added to your moveset, like punching and sliding, which allows you to like duck and dive and overcome the various obstacles and enemies the game throws at you. And then, to be honest, a new gimmick will be introduced on seemingly every level that will alter the way you think about solving the level like you know get warp holes power-ups that will allow you to reverse the direction you're running in or jump extra high or spawn a block or absorb some laser beams and then shoot them out at a later time and with all this going on the game still requires the intense speed of thought that the original required in fact i mean even more so you know i think and initially i wasn't sure what i made of it because like i said i was expecting something and it was different but after sort of persevering with it well, not even persevering with it but just simply playing it more i, I just <laughs> had a fantastic time with it i absolutely loved it the the boss fights are insanely hard though there was one boss that i died 280 something times on before i did it it was so tough i just could not get my head around it and something that i didn't realize until i i got stuck on a level and i i just couldn't figure out how to get past it because like the running is taken away from you the game has a lot more puzzle elements with all of these different sort of elements in play and i just couldn't figure out how to get past this one section you know because i mean that's half the battle is figuring out how to get past a section and then you have to get your bloody fingers to do it but I, I just, I was totally stuck and I searched on YouTube, see how to get past it. And the game was different. And I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe this is like an old, an older version of the game or something like a beta or something. But it turns out that a lot of sections of the levels are procedurally generated, which I had no idea about when I sort of read a bit more into it. I know a lot of people were saying like, um, oh, you know, it's a shame because the procedurally generated stuff isn't as good as the curated stuff. But obviously, because it's been programmed, it is curated. It's just different every time. Yeah. And if you didn't know, you would not know that it wasn't all perfectly designed. I mean, there's positives and negatives to it. On the one side, it means that, yeah, it is going to be different every time you play it, which is which is great. And it means it's going to keep you on your toes. And that will make for like really good watching of, of people, say, like racing, playing the game, because, the, you know, they, they can't just rely on memorizing exactly the button commands. They need to have a, a full understanding of the mechanics at a very sort of core level in order to be able to sort of keep up with whatever it throws at you and that that's that that makes me really excited to watch like races of that at future gdqs and stuff the downside is the fact that you can't really then hone your skills with with a level and sort of chase the best times i mean there are still like a plus and s rank times to get to unlock then alternate versions of the level and all this sort of stuff but it's an element of the game that i wasn't expecting and really really enjoyed and yeah the game is it's, it's just really good fun there we go that's that's a whole bunch <laughs> of indie games that i've played <laughs> so, 
<laughs> um, uh, apologies for wittering on. So I'm going to hand over to Minty. Tell us what you've been playing this last week. Well, in stark contrast, I've played two games. Before we started recording, I was lamenting the 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 tattered state of my body, thanks to Ringford Adventure, hey, which which we yes. picked up. Oh, he's getting shredded. Yeah, yeah. yeah we picked it up because. I've uh, well, we're both we're both on furlough at the moment, so we're not we're not getting that ten mile a day cycle um, to and from work that we were getting before Christmas. Um, so, what better way to substitute that than um, getting a, a little bit of weird paraphernalia and jumping around and doing all sorts of silly nonsense in your front room? Exactly. <laughs> How are you finding it? It's good. Yeah, I think. I find it motivating. Well, that's good. Which, yeah, it is a good thing. But at the same time, I also find it a video game. So Mrs. Minty told me off a couple of days ago um, because I had been playing it for a couple of hours and was obviously ruined physically <laughs> <laughs> because uh, just just going through uh, all the all the questions at the beginning of the game. I said, like, oh, yeah, no, I'm a... I'm I'm a I'm a fairly young fella. Like I exercise fairly regularly. You know, we can put this up to maybe intense difficulty, <laughs> without taking into account the fact that we're just coming out of the Christmas break, and <laughs> I have been basically sedentary for the past fortnight. So I've sat down to record today's podcast, and I don't think I'll be getting up again. <laughs> <laughs> that's it for the day until at least friday <laughs> it's good and i want to carry on with it and i want to unlock more stuff but i'm also depressingly aware of the limitations of my physical self <laughs> <laughs> i'm excited to see the payoff I'm happy to look into a mirror and not think oh no that's a shame but you know then that, that's a few weeks away so to break up the sort of uh, the intense physical activity that I've uh... the burn oh it's a good burn the, the runner's high we call it I've also been playing the final demo of Bravely Default Two ah oh, is there another demo yeah yeah how many, how many demos can you put out for an RPG two <laughs> this follows the now traditional uh, Square Enix uh, methodology of releasing demos in that there's only about five hours of gameplay. Which, when I relayed this to Mrs. Minty, she said, well, well how long is the game going to be if, if the demo is five hours? <laughs> so we're, we're hoping for a good, you know, 60, 70 hours of gameplay. I was excited when the first demo came out. I beat that. That was all good. And this one, it's just, it's, oh, it's given us just a little bit more, a little bit more to, to grab onto. It's given us a couple more game mechanics. It's given us a little bit more story. And the 26th of February, oh, it, it can't come quick enough, to be honest with you. I'm very excited for it. I've had a lovely time playing it, sitting down, not having to use my fucking legs <laughs> to, <laughs> to attack something. Like, I, I'm just using my thumb as God intended to kill things. I'm sorry to say, that's all I've been playing this week. That is superb. That's an excellent, excellent innings. It's certainly more productive than anything I've done, which is just eat my body weight in crunchies and play silly games. <laughs> Chris, how about you? What have you played this week? I have played and enjoyed two silly games. Excellent. So similar to Minty, but with far less physical activity involved. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. One of these games is old and one of them is really old. <laughs> so the first not so old game is called Gunman Clive. Oh, yeah. And it's 
it's a really nice platformer that I beat originally on the 3DS when eShop offerings were pretty slim. Mm-hmm. I beat it again on the Wii U when eShop offerings were pretty slim. <laughs> and now on the Switch, because the eShop now is so overfilled that I was able to pick it up for less than a pound. Yeah. Because developers and publishers are just constantly forced to drop their games to barrel scraping prices to try and game the market and, and garner some sort of visibility. For anyone that doesn't know Gunman Clive, it's got 20 short stages of jump and shoot action. To play through it normally, it probably takes like an hour or so at most. But since I've already beaten it twice, I try to beat each stage without taking any damage because you get a nice little star on the, on the uh, kind of world select. Oh, you love a star. I love a star. That was really tough. Really, really tough. But I had a lot of fun, even when it was frustrating. So some of the bosses actually required me to learn patterns. So, you know, Dark Souls, coming for you next. Yes, yes. <laughs> some stages were, were perhaps a little bit harder than they should have been because the control and collision detection in the game is not quite as slick as it should be for a game of this type, but it's, it's fine, it's passable. It's just not quite as refined as maybe it could be. But overall, it's a really good title. And like I mentioned, you can pick it up in a double pack with, it, with its sequel for a few quid normally or a few pennies in in the bi-weekly sales that seem to run (laughs) to the point of almost overlapping on the eShop these days. Mm. The second game, the older game that I played, is the original Wolfenstein 3D. Oh, wow. And playing this game in 2021 without modification is a pretty miserable experience. (laughs) But as with anything of note on the PC, people have written whole engines that reinterpret the game and make it fun. Brilliant. (laughs) It's, It's that simple, really. I mean... Levels in Doom, which is Wolfenstein's successor, essentially, for anyone that doesn't know, can be a bit tough to navigate, but you always have an auto map that gets populated so you can see where you've been and and what you need to do and where to go. So you you generally don't get lost. The original Wolfenstein did not have this, and it made it really, really hard because the, the technical limitations of the time mean that every room and corridor looks identical, pretty much. But running Wolfenstein now in something called the EC Wolf engine which is what I've been doing. It adds in auto map, which makes it much easier to get around the very sparse corridors. It, it adds in proper mouse and keyboard support, which was non-existent when the game launched. It has a much smoother frame rate than the original game could ever push out. And it's got some other quality of life stuff. And it's really fun. Like, it's really good fun. So I've, I've beaten the first episode now. And I do hope in a way that in time, this game will be preserved in a, in a similar style to how the Doom titles are on the Switch and, and everything else. Because it's a really important game. You know, the the modern reboot of the franchise has been received incredibly well the last kind of three, four years. And I think there'd be a good consumer appetite for an accessible port on modern platforms. Yeah. Chuck it out for three or four quid, allow kind of mod support in the same way the Doom titles do now. So, yeah, Bethesda, (laughs) I think you should should consider that one because it would take very little work especially if you just approach one of these kind of freeware engines like EC Wolf and say, do you mind if we license that for a release? And and the work's done for you. You know, the game plays really well just with those little tweaks. So it's on the table. They just need to kind of stump up a few quid to get it going. So yeah, that's that's been my week, really. Fantastic. So if you're not veritably salivating all over your headphones from your ears after this amazing <laughs> preamble of chat, then... Gird your loins because we are hitting Chris's 10th favourite video game of all time. So, Chris, kick off season three with the first entry, your 10th favourite video game of all time. I can't believe we're here. <laughs> <laughs> I said at the beginning of the episode, it's it's unbelievable that we're here, that we've been doing this as long as we have, and that it's still this much fun every week. <laughs> like, I, I love talking about this stuff. At this stage, 
we, you know, I've told you both and you've both told me about 90 other games that we love. <laughs> and now we've made it to the top table. You have a wedding where you invite all these hundreds of guests, but <laughs> you've got your closest family and friends sat right next to you. And, uh, you know, the, these are games in the top 10 that do feel like close family or friends, like I mentioned right at the start of this, uh, this show. They're, they're games that maybe we've loved since childhood or the games that we might have come to much later, but that have made such an impact on our tastes or our characters that they've entered this sort of pantheon reserved only for the very, very best. Now, my number 10 has appeared on Jonathan's list twice. Now, I'll let that percolate for a moment. It's because it's Sonic 3 and Knuckles. The true true end to the Mega Drive trilogy of core titles. Excellent. Now... Yes, this game was released as two distinct cartridges, as Jonathan said, Sonic 3, and then about six months on Sonic and Knuckles. <laughs> but, 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 this was always the intended way to play this game internally at Sega. Yeah, definitely. And for me, like, I think in the same way we've all included Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition on our lists, which is a title that collects together elements from two separate platform releases and two separate runs of DLC. (laughs) Sonic 3 and Knuckles as a complete experience is the way this game, not games, should be enjoyed, I think, honestly. Now, at the end of all this waffle, I will give people several options on the best ways to play this game in 2021, because it's not that straightforward in in order to get the best experience, but I'm going to make that easier for you. (laughs) But for now... Let's go back to primary school. Let's go back to CRT TVs, to swapping and trading cartridges with friends, to sitting cross-legged on the floor when my legs were still supple enough to cross. (laughs) These days, I I have this real problem that if someone was bigging up a franchise and said, oh, the third game in that series is great, but I'd never played the first two, I'd have this like crippling doubt and worry that I wasn't playing with due diligence. (laughs) Like I wasn't approaching the game properly if I just started from number three. Yeah. But... When I was seven or eight, though, naturally, I didn't care. And I first played Sonic by way of a Japanese version of Sonic 3 that was lent to me by my cousin alongside a weird converter cartridge that let it play on on UK Mega Drives. And I thought it was great. (laughs) And then not that long afterwards, I tailed back to Sonic 1 when I bought it from someone I went to Scouts with. (laughs) And I love that as well. At some point, I played Sonic Spinball, which I think I got at a boot fair. And even though it's pretty critically reviled (laughs) online... I've really loved it. Again, I had a great time. At some point, I got Sonic 2 as well. And these were all just games that existed that I enjoyed. Whether or not I was playing them out of order or out of sync, I just liked the speed and attitude of Sonic games as a kid. But even then, without this idea of like approaching them as a, you know, a, a solid A to B to C to D sort of lineage, Sonic 3 always felt a little bit abrupt. Like it was just a little bit more truncated than the other games. Like if you play Sonic 2, there are 11 zones to play through. And there's only six in Sonic 3. They're big, but the whole game just felt a little bit slight. But whenever it was that I came into possession of my own Sonic and Knuckles cartridge, and then at some point my own UK Sonic 3 cartridge, not just my, my cousin's borrowed Japanese one, the whole thing made sense, even at 10 years old or, or however young I was when I first played it. And suddenly these two objects like mashed together in a, a tower of power formed for me what is the greatest Mega Drive game ever made (laughs) and a moment first to appreciate just the ingenuity of design for 1994 it's insane yeah Sonic 3 was Sega rushing to get a game out of the door 
but knowing that in the very near future they would release a revolutionary connected follow-up that could be physically appended to the Sonic <laughs> 3 cartridge to offer the complete adventure that they had always intended. It's mental. Like, it, it is bananas. Like, the two distinct adventures becoming one seamless journey, complete with slightly remixed stage layouts, slightly different boss encounters, interstitial cutscenes that weren't there in the in the separate releases. Like, the, the technical nous alone to make something like that just blows my mind. And to release a game like Sonic 3 that, even if it was a little bit slight, as I mentioned, was still a full featured and universally praised game, only to know that you had that ace in your back pocket just boggles my noggin. <laughs> it just, I can't fathom it. Like th- these days, obviously, I've been playing games for years. I've been emulating games for years. I know a bit more about how game ROMs of the era work, like the actual data on a cartridge. And yet I'm still lost as to how two distinct cartridges, two distinct games, two distinct ROMs, can be jammed together in essence to produce a coherent third game. And the Mega Drive itself doesn't see that as game A plus game B. It's obviously, it's not intelligent enough to do that. It just reads the data as being game C when they're connected. And internally even, Sonic Team referred to Sonic 3 as S3A, Sonic and Knuckles as S3B, Mm. and Sonic 3 and Knuckles, which is, like I said, my 10th favorite game of all time as S3C. Now, that Sonic and Knuckles' weird mushroom cart could also interact with one, two, and a whole host of other Mega Drive cartridges, it's its ridiculous, but also it's kind of irrelevant to why this Mega Edition of the third Sonic title is, is so good. So I won't, I won't talk about that. <laughs> now, the game itself, Minty mentioned this when we talked about our, our Mega Drive and kind of Snares episode a few, few weeks back, that Sonic titles are fast and, and they often get poo-pooed by people who kind of suggest they're just games where you, you hold right to win. <laughs> and although I would agree that some of the later 3D games in, in the Sonic series have fallen into that stereotype, Sonic 3 and Knuckles showcases a very specific type of Sega platformer perfectly, that it is about speed and flash, but it's also a game that rewards exploration and it rewards repeated play in a way that I think Sonic 1 and 2 only really hinted at prior. The goal is still to get from one side of the stage to the other, but these levels are labyrinthine, they're really huge, they're vertical, and so the way that you go from A to B might feature detours or secret passages or hidden goodies. There's lots to find on on just a regular playthrough. The first time you tackle any stage, it might honestly take you the majority of the allotted 10 minutes on the clock to finish. <laughs> but, the, but the second time is going to be quicker, and the third or fourth time is going to get significantly faster. And there's a real counterpoint, I think, to how Mario games are played, because Mario games can be played very fast. You know, we just mentioned a few times AGDQ that's been on in the last week or so. Mario games, when played by people who know what they are doing, go very, very quick. But even at full clip, I think Mario titles are paced in such a way that you can generally always avoid a hazard, even if it's your first playthrough. Because if your reactions are fast enough and you understand what you're looking at, you can negotiate what's ahead of you. Sonic doesn't always allow that. And, and I do appreciate, especially for someone who's not grown up with these games, that that can be really frustrating if your first exposure to a level is, is really stop-start because the velocity of Sonic and Friends traveling at top speed doesn't give enough forewarning as to what is ahead. And I do get that, honestly. I, I do understand why that annoys people. But I also think that this type of trial and error is like a fundamental design tenant of, of 2D Sonic games that people miss and don't always realize and that the reward of getting better is that your gameplay experience becomes quicker and slicker and more seamless. And if you compare it maybe to a modern game like Inside or Limbo, 
like these are two games that are much slower obviously but the way they are paced is that you're expected to die at each puzzle or each encounter before you figure out how to progress and that's kind of part of the experience it's just baked into to how the game plays and how the game runs and it feels like there's a weird lineage to games like sonic because when you die or when you take damage you'll know that next time okay i need to roll there or i need to jump there or i should have taken that other route and it just builds into your experience as you get better as a player at sonic it's just how the game works and i think the reason that works for me as well is because the genius of sonic is that it has the ring system so you hoard rings as the collectible for score you hoard rings to enter bonus stages at checkpoints but also you only need a single ring in your possession to not get killed when you're hit by an enemy or a projectile and even then if you do get hit and you're holding that ring nine times out of ten you can abuse your invincibility to just collect some of the rings again that you've dropped and the game knows that it can be tough but it puts these things in place to soften the experience and i think the rings in sonic it's a really elegant solution to have that one collectible have a whole variety of functions so it lets the games remain really speedy and flashy because that was what the real selling point of these games was but it also has that protective cushion that stops a first time playthrough being that frustrating because of that and because it's got regular checkpointing I think Sonic 3 and Knuckles especially is a quite a forgiving playthrough. Like the vast majority of players could probably get through and see the credits with a few hours work. It might be a bit staccato in places, might be a bit of a kind of stilted experience. But I think that should be the motivator to get better and to try again. And that's what I did as a kid. It's like, okay, I, I was shit at that. That took me forever. I died loads. And then the next time I played, it was like, well, I do remember that route and I'll take that and I'll go faster. And it just makes you a better Sonic player. I think it's it's a really addictive loop for me at least and it really leans in to answer the question of how exactly do you take the format of like a visually arresting and and a fast but still coin munching deliberately punishing arcade game but make it work as a home experience and it's all about giving the player a chance at all times and knowing that okay if the experience is glossy enough and fun enough they'll probably come back to master it anyway like if if you take an example like metal slug in the arcade with one credit a first time player is getting nowhere it's a really really hard game but there's so much to look at and so much to enjoy in that short playtime that you're either going to find more money to put more credits in and, and try and get a bit further or you'll come back to it another time from what you remember enjoying and get that a little bit further because you've got a certain level of learned experience and i think sonic 3 and knuckles is just like that like you will fall in a pit you will run into a baddie that you couldn't have foreseen you will get launched off a spring into some spikes but the penalty is always pretty soft like okay you'll you'll drop some of your rings you'll lose a little bit of progress to your last checkpoint or even at worst case scenario you might have to continue from the start of a stage if you run out of all your lives but it's the thrill of the adventure i think that makes you want to come back to see where the game is going to go next now you jonathan you've had a stint recently of playing big triple a narrative action titles a la naughty dogs entire modern catalog <laughs> and I would argue that the lineage of games of that ilk, like Uncharted and, and Last of Us, can be traced back to games like Sonic 3 and Knuckles, because they're games about set pieces, and they're games about having kind of set dressing and a sense of journey and adventure, and it's all here in the in this 16-bit game. You've given us your thoughts last week on The Last of Us Part 2, and I think Sonic 3 and Knuckles is, is a much better game in, in this kind of lineage because it doesn't have to worry about telling a cinematic story. It just has to be fun to play. 
And the moment-to-moment gameplay is so frenetic in Sonic that the moments in a Naughty Dog game, for example, that are meant to leave you breathless, the big action set pieces, they just end up being folded into actual second-to-second gameplay. There's no dead time. There's no waiting for a cutscene to finish. It's just onwards and upwards at all times. If you've never played Sonic 3 and Knuckles, within the first 30 minutes, a whole zone is set on fire. A massive airship conducts a bombing run over your head. It's incredible. You fall down a waterfall. You find yourself in a submerged city in the vein of Bioshock's rapture. You witness the very clay that sculpts the land melt in front of your eyes. This is all within three stages. It's incredible. And crucially, you are active for almost all of these events. So cutscenes, if they are used, are usually three seconds maybe in length. (laughs) Just to pad it out, just waiting for the next section. It's like, oh, there's the character and on we go again. And I think action titles of the 16-bit era often had quite a relentless pace about them but whilst that's obviously true here there's also a coherency that i don't think is usually evident in games of this era and most stages in sonic 3 and knuckles end with a a semi-logical transition that shows how your character is thrust from from one stage to the next there's always these lovely environmental details and background art which gives you a sense of location in the same way that i think super mario sunshine does really well like alluding to landmarks you've either Mm. just traversed through or around or across or in some cases are going to be meeting shortly i I love it i I just love the whole package sonic 3 knuckles receives the lofty accolade as being one of the games i endeavor to play through almost every year and it's still an absolute joy now as i mentioned there's different ways to play this game and there's different ways to play it in its best form it's easy enough to play the rom on an emulator or via a Mega Drive collection you may already own. Even if, for some reason, the the recent kind of collection that I hated on the Switch, but just for argument's sake, it doesn't actually include Sonic 3 or Sonic & Knuckles, let alone the combination of the two. But there are nowadays two definitive ways I can recommend playing this title. Firstly, fans have produced a ROM hack known as Sonic 3 Complete, which not only fixes some of the bugs in the original release, but also adds in some movement abilities from later games, adds in interstitial cutscenes between the few stages that didn't feature a transition. It revises some stage layouts that are previously exclusive to Sonic Jam, of all things, on the Sega Saturn. So good. It has a slightly revised zone order that's based on an early preview footage and and beta builds of the game, so it kind of makes it, in essence, slightly closer to the original vision, perhaps, of Sonic Team. It is an astonishingly comprehensive package, and as a result of just being a patch that you can apply to a vanilla ROM, it's then playable on any emulator or device of your choosing. And for a long time, that was how I played this game for the last three or four years. When I went back for my yearly playthroughs, that was the way I did it. But secondly, and this this is a new discovery as of this week, uh, and it's only from watching Awesome Games Done Quick in, in the last few days that I realized the existence uh, of this yeah. is Sonic 3 Angel Island Revisited, or Sonic 3 Air for short, which is essentially a total rebuild of the game for the PC. It is unbelievable. It requires you to own the original title on Steam, so you do have to have in theory, a legitimate copy to to use this mod. But it then uses the original assets that are in that ROM to display the whole thing in expanded widescreen without any glitches or problems. It makes such a tremendous difference because, as I mentioned earlier, you can now see far enough ahead that you avoid a lot of unnecessary deaths if you have not played the game before. So it kind of softens it that little bit extra as well to make it a little bit nicer for, for newcomers. On top of that, it folds in most of the tweaks common to Sonic 3 Complete. It adds an achievement, an unlockable system. It ups the frame rate in all the 3D bonus stages to make them much more responsive. And amazingly, this is such a small tweak, but it really is the icing on the cake. It adds a remastered soundtrack. Now, I was really worried when I saw this as an option 
because I think it, it could have taken away from one of the game's greatest strengths, which is just one of the very best 16-bit soundtracks of all time. But all it does is it takes the original songs, the original files, or have their, their kind of run through the Mega Drive, and it just cleans up the samples used in those tracks. So it's very hard to notice unless you play them side by side, but the percussion is just cleaner and clearer. And when you listen to them like that, it's just another bit of evidence that this is really the very, very, very best way to play this game. I, I just, I can't recommend it highly enough. Overall, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, I think, is a Mega Drive game of towering achievement. It is the highest Mega Drive game that will place on my list. So you can both rest easy on that one. That We're not going to have a top 10 of just talking about the Sega Mega Drive. It is an incredible looking and sounding game. Like I said, it is as fun to play in 2021 as I did a few days ago as when I was a wee bairn. It is just the very cream of the crop when it comes to the whole 16-bit generation for me. It's absolutely timeless and really, honestly, only challenged for supremacy by the recent Sonic Mania. And that still falls into second place for me. There are pieces of music that feature in this soundtrack that will pop into my head without prompt and have done so continually (laughs) since I played this game for the first time 20 odd years ago. I reckon I could draw Sonic Sprite from this game from memory. (laughs) I'm able now with relative ease to collect all seven of the Chaos Emeralds by the end of the second zone in the game because the, the locations of the big rings are just seared into my brain with muscle memory just driving me there on autopilot as soon as the stage starts. I think this is, more than a lot of the games in my top 10 as well, a game I would consider a, a desert island title for me. Any time over the years, like I've, I've had loads and loads of handhelds that have, you know, through a bit of homebrew jiggery-pokery here and there, have been able to run emulators. So I've had obscure Korean machines like the old GP32 and the GP2X. I had my hacked PSP. I had the flash cart on my DS Lite. More recently, I've now got my RetroArch build on, on 3DS and Vita. And every time I do that to a new console, Sonic 3 & Knuckles is almost always the game I run as a performance benchmark. It's like, if it can play that, I'm happy. That's that's what I need. It is my number 10. Sonic 3 & Knuckles, just an astonishing game. Amazing. So there we have it. Number 10 from Christopher Dow was... Sonic 3 & Knuckles. Absolutely amazing. And I can't wait to find out what Minty's 10th favourite video game of all time is next week. Mm. In the meantime, you can reach out to us and chat to us about any of the games that we've chatted about this episode. You can ask us questions you might like us to answer in a future episode. You can even now submit to us your top 10 favourite video games of all time for potential future review on an upcoming episode. You can do that on the following things. Facebook.com slash Our3Cents. Instagram, Twitch, and TikTok at O3C Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube if you search for our three cents. You can also take us to task individually by reaching out to us on Twitter. I am at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing and want to support us a bit more, then you can check out patreon.com slash our three cents and look at all the amazing perks on offer there. And please do join us next week where Minty will be taking the stage to tell us about his 10th favourite video game of all time. I hope you're ready. Oh, I am. I mean, whether or not, it's still (laughs) going to happen. So strap yourselves in. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Fans of video games, history or video game history will definitely want to listen to Retronauts. 
Each week, Bob Mackey and myself, that's Jeremy Parrish, dive into the stories behind the greatest games of the past and the history behind the hits of today. Check us out every Monday on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Previously in Zelda 2 on Chat of the Wild. Until you get to the elevator. Hey, where are you going? <laughs> I'm like, stay away from me and you and your little flamies. <laughs> he just chases you. I'm like, uh, I'm like, no, 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 run, 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 run. I love that. I love that idea. It's like we have this whole grand adventure where we're building ourselves up, and every time we get into power, we're like, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god. <laughs> like just running through. <laughs> That's Chat of the Wild Wednesdays on the Greenlit Podcast Network.